Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favorite shows. And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. It's uh, The season has finished with a uh, wonderful 4-0 win at Fulham and uh, I'm your stand-in host, Mark Douglas, today. Uh, Andrew Musgrove is away sunning himself somewhere in sunny Northumberland, I believe. Um, he's obviously decided there's nothing else to talk about at the end of the season. No big issues on the Newcastle United horizon, so why not take a week off? Um, my, uh, my guest today is Chris Woff. Um, and we are here to talk about uh, the aforementioned said big issues. But we'll start, Chris, with Fulham. Um, did you enjoy the boat ride to uh, to the ground? Unfortunately, I wasn't as intoxicated as, as others in, in the ground, if only. But um, it was a it was fantastic seeing the flotilla coming down mm-hmm. there. The, the the weather couldn't have been any better for them. I mean, I remember looking. I looked Amazing. before I went down, and it didn't look like the forecast was that brilliant. But uh, fans certainly enjoyed the, the the entire day and the way it started, and obviously the way it ended was was brilliant for them. Yeah, it's one of those grounds, Fulham, as well, isn't it? Where uh, there'll be a bit of a miss in the Premier League because they are. It's one of those places where you go, and it's an old, a sort of old school ground, but it's in a beautiful setting and probably just a perfect place to end what's been a sort of decent season in the end for Newcastle. Oh, it's a fantastic uh, ground, properly old school. You don't get many of them like that. Obviously, the, the cottage is there itself. In a lot of ways, it's it's really come full circle for Rafa Benitez. His first game at the start of this three-year contract was away at Fulham in the Championship, which Newcastle lost 1-0 also on a that was ridiculously hot that day. I remember being sweltering in the press box and Newcastle were poor that day. And yet, if he is to sign off as manager as we, as we get on to later, then a 4-0 victory a team who really it was it was a game where Newcastle it was almost um as if it was a, a cat playing with a mouse mm. almost as if they had Fulham where they wanted them all the way through allowed Fulham to have the ball and just were ruthlessly efficient on the break and a uh, fantastic end to the season for Newcastle they've given themselves a bit of momentum but whether Rafa Benitez stays or not depends on whether they can see that through the summer what do you, what do you kind of think of the uh the way that Newcastle have, have ended this season because it's once again I think as for me I think it's probably clouded a little bit the, the the correct judgment of the season because they finished thirteenth this season, one you know three places below where they finished last season, one point ahead of where they finished last season. I, although, if you if you just say those facts, it doesn't feel like this season has been a season of progress. But but actually, I'm sitting here feeling like there has been massive signs of progress this season, and it does feel like you know, you, you, you kind of peel away the layers really of this season and, it, and you know, a really bad start, some pretty grim uh, moments at the start of the season. It felt like, you know, it was going to go into a, a pretty bad place this season, but it's ended with a real feeling that this team has, fa- has, has moved through the gears a little bit and the club itself feels like it's kind of, if Rafa stays anyway, is moving in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, we I think we saw at the start of this season what a summer can do in terms of stagnating potential momentum Newcastle had that at the end of last season again they ended the season very well 3-0 victory over Chelsea and then Benitez didn't get what he wanted there was a lot of negativity uh, Rondon arrived very late wasn't fit when he first came in Newcastle had issues Lejeune got injured and for those first 10 games it was a real struggle And uh, but I think over the course 
of the season as Rondon's become fitter, as the team have changed to play this newer system, which has worked better at St. James's Park than the previous one. Since Miguel Almiron's come in, there has been a huge shift, and I think that the players really understand what they want from Benitez now. And, and one thing which has always been crucial about Benitez, and I think we all forget this when you're in the context of a season, that the first half of it, sometimes teams his teams don't start as quickly but they always end it well because he sees that the season as, as a whole and a lot of other managers just focus on we need to get results as quickly as possible Benitez wants his team to make sure they can outlast other sides in the season and I think we saw that in the last few weeks the way they went toe-to-toe with Liverpool just the uh, second last game of the season I think that we saw that they've grown as a team they've grown together and there are real signs of progress for me compared to where they were 12 months ago albeit they were playing very well then as well I think the team has evolved I think there's still some evolution to go, but it only is looks like it could be positive at Benitez stays because this is a team which is built in his image. And I think that another manager, A, would struggle to get fans on side immediately because they'd be the person replacing Rafa Benitez. But B, as I say, this is a team which it does exactly what Benitez wants from it and other managers will have different styles and won't necessarily want to play in the way that Benitez does. Yeah, and funnily enough, you, you say about it way the end of the season. I spent an afternoon with Jamie Harley for a piece the other week and uh, I sort of asked about because he's the head of sports science at Newcastle sorry for anybody who doesn't know it and I asked about how Rafa works well, why is why do Rafa's teams finish so strongly and it was really interesting because he said effectively this is a management group that is used to building a team to finish the season well because they've got a big Champions League game a Champions League final or they're ending the season challenging for a title or Europa League or the FA Cup. That, that they're trying to head towards the spring because that's when things get decided. And his point was there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes at Newcastle that I kind of wasn't aware of. Um, one of the things, they, they take these um, these blood tests at different points in the season and um, they basically they tinker their training programme based on um, the, the kind of the physiological things that they notice from the players. Uh, but it seems to me that what what they what they do so well, and I think this is one thing, one another reason why Newcastle really need to keep Rafa Benitez is that they just like physically, I think they mould a team to finish strong when other teams aren't. And I think mm-hmm. you made this point last season that Rafa absolutely makes hay against teams that are probably not very well organised. They're a good mm-hmm. they're good sides, but they're not very well organised. And you saw that with Fulham at the end of the season. You saw that maybe with. Southampton uh, the other week as well you know teams that just give you a little bit of a leeway Rafa's just ruthlessly exploits them at the end of the season and that 4-0 on Saturday on Sunday sorry was the peak was peak Rafa uh, in the Premier League just a man with a plan players that knew what they were doing against a team that was actually in decent form but just didn't have those same things well I think Scott Parker summed it up after the game when he said that when the game gets stretched, when there is space, that, that Fulham just do get ruthlessly exposed and Newcastle did that in the first half. I mean, Newcastle scored basically their first two chances and the first one was obviously an absolutely world-class finish uh, from Shelby. It was a pre-planned move, but to still be able to control it and then finish from the edge of the area is completely different to doing that on the training ground. And then the second one, Atsu's shot wasn't great, but Perez was there to follow it up. And Newcastle didn't really do that much else in attack in the first half but they just let Fulham have the ball and Fulham looked good until they got in the final third and then it was aimless crossing the ball to Mitrovic which Lascelles, Dummett and Cher just mopped up all of that and Newcastle this is a team where you can see over the course of the season now everyone within it knows what their specific role is players can even come in and out I mean Isaac Hayden was filling in a right wing back Mm -hmm. and after a difficult start where they got in behind him a couple of times did very very well and I just think they are so well drilled and understand what Benitez wants in them that that when they come up against teams like that who maybe think they're a little bit better on the ball than they probably are Newcastle are very good at exploiting that Uh, the evolution you talked about there I think is a really interesting point because I think last season they finished the season well, but maybe the team hadn't evolved that much. They weren't, um, you know, they, they weren't necessarily set up to play against different teams quite as well as they have been this season. I mean, you know, just touch a little bit on the evolution there. What, what do you, how do you, you've seen all the games from the start of the season to the end? I mean, how do you feel they've evolved this season? I think one thing that's been crucial is Salomon Rondon coming in. He really gives a focal point to the team. 
Um, so he he has given them something really to play off, and I think at last times last season as well as someone like Dwight Gale did at times, he isn't really that central focus to a team. So Newcastle have something to play, someone to play off and play through. But also the shift in the formation from Benitez last season, there was always a part of him behind the scenes where he he thought about shall I play three centre backs, but didn't feel he had the players to do it. Fabian Cher arrived during the summer and when he had Cher and, and Lejeune able to play either side of Lascelles, Newcastle then, it wasn't just a case of we have to get it to John Joe Shelby or we have to give it to Perez and hope something happens. Which is they what have. they did in the championship, wasn't it? Exactly. Shelby was if you stopped Newcastle by stopping Shelby in the championship. Exactly. And then so they had two centre backs who could both play I mean Lejeune can play very good crossfield balls as can share but also can can move forward with the ball and particularly at home that gave them a point of difference Almiron has then come in and given them something extra as well that pace uh, to, to really expose defences so I think that Newcastle have gone from last season whereby they had very one very set game plan and it required Diarmi and Shelby to be playing out of their skin for the second half of the season to Newcastle basically take the majority of the chances they had because they didn't create that many whereas now they still don't have that much possession, but when they do have the ball, they're a lot more precise in what yeah. they do with it because they've got better technical players to use it. That, that, I mean, that was one of the criticisms of them at the start of the season was that they were they were dull to watch. They were playing some pretty brutal football, I think, for the first six months of the season. But you certainly wouldn't say that towards the end of the season. I mean, they finished scoring nine goals in three games at the end of the season. Um, you know, really attacked Liverpool well. And, you know, Jurgen Klopp said they play long ball football and... I think that was unfair. He said long balls to, to Rondon. I think he, you know, it was one of those things with, with Klopp where I think there was a little bit of a dig there. You know, I mean, it wasn't intended. He did it with a smile and the sort of Jurgen Klopp charisma, but he did it with a bit of a dig. But my argument to that is that, you know, there were a lot of teams playing really good football in the Premier League at the moment. You've got Liverpool playing this rock and roll football, which Klopp always wanted to play. And they, they're great to watch. They're absolutely phenomenal to watch. And Man City are obviously devastating on their day as well and there's a few other teams that are really good to watch but if you can't you don't have the players to play that way you know if you try and imitate that with inferior players it's horrendous to watch Newcastle I think have been great to watch towards the end and okay there's a little bit of get the ball you know get the ball forward quickly you know they play with they play with trying to get crosses into Rondon you know they do play out to the wing but it's been really exciting towards the end of the season I could count you know, Everton, um, Liverpool was a, a great, you know, those two home games. Southampton was brilliant. Huddersfield was a great game. Obviously, Saturday was was superb as well. They've actually been really good to watch towards the end of the season, which has been something that nobody has really said about Newcastle for, um, you know, under Rafa. You know, it's been, oh, they play this defensive football, but they've actually been decent to watch. I think they're, they're very good to watch in the last few weeks when they've attacked because they try and get the ball forward quickly and you can make the argument well that's long ball but I don't think it actually always is and and what what I think it is exploit space they they bring teams out and then they have space to attack into and actually I think that to, to a certain degree it, it, they play a completely different way to the way that, that the likes of Liverpool Man City do but they're, those two teams are at the most devastating when they attack at pace as well when they can exploit space that is what Rafa Benitez identifies as in transition, that's when a team is at their most vulnerable, and that's what Newcastle have tried to exploit. They don't have the players to be able to, to go out and dominate against teams, so they have to use what they have. And I remember about a decade ago, I used to get very frustrated when Barcelona were brilliant, and everyone was saying, oh, this is the way that football should be played. And I would have that same argument you just made there, that if everyone imitated what Barcelona did, Barcelona would win 99% of the time because they did it better than anyone else. If you try and play in exactly the same way as Liverpool and Man City did, they will beat you because they're better at it. You have to... Yes, go toe to toe with them as Newcastle did against Liverpool. You've got to have a bit, show a bit more ambition than Newcastle probably did over a six to twelve month period when Benitez was just trying to stay in games and trying yeah. not to lose heavily. Whereas now he feels he has the personnel to to be able to hurt opposition teams with the limited ball Newcastle are going to get. Yeah, it's, it's interesting as well because you know Newcastle played or tried to play good football under Steve McLaren. That was his remit was to come in and because Alan Pardew had played percentages stuff towards the end it had been effective but it was percentages and one of the arguments I think levelled at Newcastle at that uh, under Pardew was that they probably had players to play better football than they did. McLaren came in tried to play you know a good passing game possession based football was, was the idea and it didn't work Rafa came in and I think he's you know I think there have been times when Newcastle have been brutal to watch. You can't deny that this season in particular some of those home games um, you know, it was it was difficult to watch, but you know they they've been pretty 
I, th- I think you know fair fair you know a fair, very fair point you've made to there that you know they've moved quickly to get the ball forward um but they haven't been long aimless balls and you know Rondon is a target man and he's he's the best he's he's very unique because there's not many of them left really there's probably Andy Carroll Mitrovic who I don't think is as good as Rondon at that game um so they've used utilized Rondon to to the, to the best of his uh, best of his abilities really I think yeah you've got you've got to play it to, to the strengths that you have and Rafa Benitez has tried to maximize what they are this Newcastle side still has limitations I, I think even with this system away from home when it was both Cher and Lejeune I think Newcastle were exposed quite a lot themselves with pace on the break and it was a bit the, the lack the balance that Benitez really wants them whereas at St James's Park it's strange because it's reverted to what the start of the season yeah. Newcastle looked better playing the opposite away from home because they they could frustrate teams whereas they probably didn't have enough in attack to really have a go at them at St James's Park they just didn't have the ability with the playing four at the back with the players, the personnel they had in the team to actually break opposition teams down, and it was it was really turgid to watch at times. At St James's, Benitez through the first half of the season kept on talking about that Brighton game and the amount of crosses Newcastle had, the amount of chances. But I remember that match, and if you look back at it, Newcastle had all of the ball and did nothing with yeah. it. They were similar to Fulham yeah. to a degree on on Sunday in terms of when Fulham had the ball, it was clueless in terms of when they had it in the final third. That's what Newcastle were like. They've evolved. Perez has hit form again. He seems to during the second half of seasons. Almiron, obviously, when he was playing, liberated the team somewhat. Rondon's given them a point of difference, and also the midfield's been been different as well. Having having Hayden and, and when it was Longstaff in there, I think Newcastle had more legs than they probably have done before. Players who are very very athletic, and that gives them the ability to really to release the front three as well because they can cover more work. And then Richie, I think, has been excellent at left wing back. Yeah. It, it was a position I really didn't see him being able no. to play. He struggled when he when he just got thrown into there. I think it was Chelsea a couple of years ago. But he's evolved, and actually, I think he's now better suited to play in that position than as an out-and-out winger in the Premier League because he gives Newcastle something different. He gives that intensity in a different position. So everyone in that Newcastle team has, has, has progressed this season and, and gives something a bit different. Yeah, what I love about Rafa, uh, and this was kind of one of the things that I think you know I noticed from him very early on, is that he loves having a problem to solve, and it's almost like. He likes the he likes the fact that the challenges that, that get thrown up, and the the, the problems that, that that they had at the start of the season. Whereas other managers, um, I've, I've worked with other managers who've either sort of denied that those things are problems, or you know, kind of excused why those things why those things haven't gone right. Rafa seems to really work on the idea that okay, well, this is a weakness that we've got. How do we revert it? How do we change it? And I guarantee you that he'll be going away this summer. And, you know, if he stays, and we'll get onto that very shortly, it'll be rather than thinking about what they've done, it'll be, right, we've conceded more headed goals than any yeah. other team in the Premier League. What do we do? How do we, what, who are we scouting to make that difference? What system, what system change can we do? Because he'll think that's 14 goals or whatever that they've conceded headed goals. That has cost us maybe three places in the, in the, in the table. And, that's what he's all about, isn't it? I mean, you know, going back to the interview I did with with Jamie Harley, it was very much like the training load is this big thing that they've all got in their heads. And um, uh, Paco, uh, who's his number two, is charged with this idea that the training load has to be right. So they work on things over the course of the season in training. So they'll they'll suddenly, if stamina is seen as a big thing, they'll work. They'll kind of find a way to work that into the training. Um, and it's all those kind of things that I think are just so important about Rafa, and, and it's you know it, that's why when people say I don't know why Newcastle fans don't turn on him when things aren't going well, that's the reason because we know we've you know, all fifty thousand of us and two people in this room, but also the eighty thousand fans or whatever that Newcastle have got who watch the games, we just have this faith in the man that he's going to turn things round, and every season he's been here barring the relegation season where he didn't have enough time I don't think to, to put these ideas into practice he's he's come good he's come good and this is the reason why I think we're all feeling like he just the next phase of the chain the next phase of the Rafa time could be to take things on to actually where they're challenging for something they're challenging to try and either win something or to be more competitive in the Premier League and that's why this feels so important there yeah I agree he's, he's what I would call a big picture manager in terms of this the next game is huge, but it's just one part of, of what's coming next. It was it was interesting on Friday he was asked about 
what he thinks has has changed at Newcastle over three years, and he and he, he made a joke about not much and pointed around the training ground, but then started talking about the things that had changed. So he, one thing, one big thing was was basically the mood in the city and in the mm. in the changing room. He changed that, um, and we also talked about the sports science changes, which you've alluded to. But he then you could see there was there was a part of him, and he, and then he said but we haven't changed as much as we wanted to because he, all of what he said over the last three years, all the ideas he has in every single facet of the club that he wants to change, that's what he looks at. Some managers come in and it's all about the players or it's all about the playing style or whatever. For Benitez, it's it's something... He, 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 it really is that he considers it as a whole and he considers the power of different departments at a football club and he still thinks that Newcastle have so much to grow in a lot of these areas. And if they do that, if they make these changes... Over time, the first team will benefit from that, and Newcastle themselves will benefit from that. So that brings us on to the big, the big issue for this week. I think, um, as far as we understand it, Rafa is meeting with Mike Ashley and Lee Charnley. We think towards the end of the week, Thursday, Friday, um, have been have been mentioned. At the, is there a reason, Chris, why we haven't really neither side has really given us firm details on when it is? Because normally things leak. With Rafa, I think we all know that because he sometimes has, has done that for a for a reason to try and get his message out. And obviously, people have very good sources within Newcastle United as well. But I don't think anybody has ever has really revealed when this meeting is going to be, where it's going to be. And I think there's probably maybe a reason for that. Well, I think both sides are going into this genuinely in a positive frame of mind that something can be resolved and so they don't want to, to be seen to be the one who's potentially caused any damage by leaking that it's out now and creating the pressure. It was interesting on Friday that Benitez was quite keen to stress that it may take more than one meeting, which suggested to me that he doesn't want it out there that it's, say, Thursday or Friday itself because if it comes to Thursday and then we get to Friday morning and nothing's resolved, then suddenly it'll be, oh, he mustn't be staying, they haven't given him what he wants, but it may be that he gives some counter-proposals and then they have to take time to think about it and then they come back and, and meet in the middle of the ground. So there hasn't been any briefings uh, either side, really, and that's because... As I say, I think both both are hopeful that they can come up with something and they want to go into them with the best faith possible. Uh, Mike Ashley only spoke briefly with Benitez after the game on Sunday and the players congratulated them and thanked them. But there was a positive mood and connection between them and I just think that, that the both sides still think that this can be resolved and they don't want to... to uh, Benitez has, has done all his talk and he's, he's given all the messages he needs over the last few months. Nothing is going to materially change if he leaks that the meeting's going to be this week. So, And then from Newcastle's point of view, they've been clear that they haven't wanted to brief against the manager at any point, even when they've, he's probably come out and said some things they don't necessarily agree with, they think have been misrepresented to a certain degree. Uh, and they've always been consistent that they want Benitez to stay. So we're just at the point now where, it, unfortunately, it is very much just a waiting game. On a, on the negative side, Rafa has put some proposals to Newcastle, which he's not received any sort of substantive reply to yet, which suggests that there's quite a lot hanging on these meetings because either Mike Ashley's the only one who can sign off some of those things he's asking for, or alternatively, the club just don't, really agree with some of the things that he's asked for so I suppose while you know I think we're all I feel think feeling a little bit more positive than maybe we were in January um, there's still a fair amount of distance to go to get the two sides closer together there is and I've thought all along that it's going to take compromise from both sides I, I do think that Benitez has played quite a canny game as well and it's given some proposals which he basically knows he's not going to get all of what he wants from them but then he can hopefully the club then have to come and meet him somewhere in the middle and then he'll get greater concessions than that at the moment he hasn't really received the noises he's going to get certainly on some of the key areas the training ground and elsewhere that he wants to improve he hasn't had the noises he wants last summer Mike Ashley told them that they weren't going to upgrade yeah. the training ground in the short term and that they had to wait until they were in a better financial footing to do so so that needs to have changed. There needs to have been a shift from them. Benitez needs to shift in a little bit as well. And the problem that you've got with these two is they're both very stubborn men. And particularly, the, the issue I've always found is when they're not in direct communication. And when they're not in direct communication, mm. I don't know if it's due to Chinese whispers or just the fact that Ashley is focusing on business elsewhere and so it doesn't give Benitez the responses when he goes to Lee Charney and others as quickly as he wants. But as soon as the two of them are in the room and chatting, it always seems, so far anyway, it usually has ended in a more positive uh, 
scenario than you'd necessarily thought or might have done before they got together. So I think that when they do speak to one another, they can work together. But whether this meeting reflects the previous ones is, is another matter entirely because this is the one where really everything now is at stake. Following relegation, Benitez had initially thought he wasn't going to stay, but then he saw it as a project. He saw the, the potential mm. that when he first came. The year after that, he was still tied into his contract and it was difficult for him to leave because he had the uh, the golden shackle or whatever it was called where he couldn't get, couldn't get out of the contract. Whereas now... It's different. You really can't. He can leave his, his contract expires on June the thirtieth. So he is going to need to see concessions. But I think that he's also going to have to rein in some of his demands because he's he's certainly not going to get them all. Hi there, it's Caroline Foran from Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast, and this is a Staycast from Acast. Please, please, please do follow the government's advice right now, which is currently to stay at home where possible. The sooner we all get on board with these measures, the sooner we will be all together again. While you're staying at home, here's a recommendation for another great podcast for you to listen to. I think we need a bit of comic relief more than ever, so why not try the Two Johnnies podcast, available on the Acast app or wherever you get your podcasts. There's there's a lot of kind of... I think a lot riding on it out there. The mood, I think, is very, um, you know, people are just waiting, really, I think, to decide where, you know, what they what they make of Newcastle's direction. I think there's a lot of worry out there that, um, that Mike Ashley just doesn't have the best interests of the football club at heart. He will just try and go down a route that's, you know, very much just trying to save money for the football club and, um, and, and he won't do, he won't do what's right for, for the club. I think what I'm tending to, the, the noises that you're kind of hearing from the club are that, you know, that they, they're being quite honest, really, I think, in that, that Rafa, a lot of what Rafa wants, they won't be prepared to give him. So the, the idea that you go and spend 25 million on a 29, 30 year old, they're probably not going to give him, which I think is, is wrong. Um, because I think you just have to give Rafa really on that, on that front, what he wants. You've seen Salomon Ronda as the official club player of the year. They need to do that. Um, but I think to be absolutely fair, there is also the idea, I think, that they're trying to thrash out the issues here. That, they're, that there's not an element of, which I think there has been in the past, maybe that you know they are almost there's almost been lip service to, yeah, we'll try and do this, we'll try and do that. I think this is where they have to thrash the issues out. And I think if Rafa can't get what he wants, in my opinion, look, Newcastle will deserve every bit of criticism that they get if Rafa walks away because they've got a great thing going here and I think then we put the we you know we, we're going to kind of I don't know, war footings the, the right word it's, it seems you know it seems a bit a bit inappropriate in some ways but you know we get in the bunkers again because it's going to be a rough old time at Newcastle United and I think they'd have to they'd have to deal with that but then you know if they're not prepared to do what Rafa wants then they need to they need to ride that you know they need to they need to get the consequences of, of their actions you know rather than stringing him along and letting things emerge like they have in the last few weeks it's it's such an important time and if they can't see what a good thing they've got going and they're not prepared to move a little bit towards what Rafa wants a little I think a little bit further than they have because they they will turn around and say well you know he's asked for Rondon but we gave him Key Fernandez uh, we did get him Rondon in the end and we went and spent money on getting other, you know, getting a new contract for Dwight Gale and all that. So they will point out that we've given him five or six players over the age of 27, um, which, you know, we would never have given any other manager. Uh, but Rafa would turn around and say, well, yeah, but they were all under a certain amount of money. Um, but I think George and you and, uh, ele- you know, were very eloquent last, last week about the importance of bringing in experienced players like Rondon who can then lift everybody else up. And if the club just don't get that, then, you know, okay, well, deal with the consequences of it because they're going to have to go a hell of a distance. It's going to cost them a lot more money, I think, to go out and get somebody else in and mould the whole, do everything differently again. Once again, you know, go out and move. And, you know, my one concern about the the things is you've got probably the person within the football club who knows the most about football dealing with the person at the football club who probably knows in a senior position who knows the least about professional football um, in Mike Ashley and that's not meant as a an insult towards him because he's obviously very sharp at other things he's a billionaire he's done you know really well in in retail and stuff but he doesn't know football um, he would admit that I'm sure in a private moment himself he wouldn't want other people saying it on his behalf but he doesn't know football and my worry is that 
you know, that's my, well, not my worry, but that's the thing that we have to kind of bridge here. You've got the person who knows the most about football, the person who knows the least. And I just hope the person who knows the least does what he did after the championship season, which was kind of say, well, whatever Rafa wants, Rafa gets. Um, and, and Rafa, to be fair, has to manage up as well, because my understanding is the last summer, he went into the meeting with Ashley and basically said, I want to need 10 first team players. Now, you know, he probably did, but no manager in the world is going to get 10 first team players from their owner. Um, if that was what happened, but that's what, you know, we've heard that, that he was very much of the opinion that he needed a whole new team or he needed a lot more first team players last summer. He's just never going to get that. So if he can come in and say, I need three or four players and then to replace everybody that I've got and the club need to be a bit quicker and then the club say, well, the vast majority of those players that you're getting are going to have to be under 25, 26. I think we we can get somewhere with that um, and the team could be much improved. Yeah, I think the club have started to move in some areas. We've already had the changes to the academy, which very much Rafa driven. I think he wants further changes to follow, but they've started to move in that regard. You also, with Rondon, the noises are different now to what they were last summer. Last summer, it was we're not signing him permanently, whereas when we sat in front of Lee Charnley uh, about well, six, three, four weeks ago, whenever it was, he said, when have we said we're not going to sign Rondon? Is it basically saying we wait and see what the deal is. They're not going to pay, I very much doubt they're going to pay Twenty, the best part of twenty million pounds from, but if they can use Dwight Gale as part of a of a of a deal there, if they can get Rondon to to give to have wage demands which are slightly more reasonable, I think than he's maybe his agent is pushing for at the moment, that they will look to bring him in, and that is a, is a big thing for Benitez. But it, it, it's elsewhere that they look at, and I think if they say to him, say to Rafa Benitez, look, John Joe Shelby's probably one of your more saleable assets. You sell him, get fifteen to twenty million. You can spend that on someone else as well. You can bring in whoever your player is there, but it's it, it's never just been about money with transfers, Benitez. It is about the way that they work, and you say about them working quicker. And he he's been very frustrated at certain points last couple of years, and he, I think he looks at this summer and he looks at the fact that there's a lot of business Newcastle have to do in and out. The army is almost certainly leaving. Isaac Hayden's pushing to go. Um, Shelby could go. I always say Perez's future is uncertain. And then Rondon isn't a Newcastle player at the moment. Hosselu's likely to leave. But then you look at Almiron is going to be at the Copper America, may not return to pre-season until about a fortnight after it begins if they get far. Christian Atsu is going to be away with Ghana at the Africa Cup of Nations. He may not come back till late. So at the moment, he's looking at it and thinking, if we don't do quick business here, I'm going to miss the majority of pre-season. I've got to go to China, which you want me to do anyway which he isn't overly happy about, but he has conceded to a certain degree on that because he said, I'll work around that, even though I'm not particularly happy with it. So both sides are starting to move and have given concessions, but I think both need to come further into the middle. And I I think there is still a bit for each of them to go, and I think both of them will give a bit more, but whether that, that gives the conclusion that they want. Because the big what-if here as well is if suddenly a club who we don't necessarily expect come in and make an offer for Rafa Benitez, that could change mm. things if they were... At the moment, I don't really see a real viable alternative. I know that Celtic have been linked again today, but I don't. I just don't see him going there. I certainly don't see one in the Premier League at this stage. It would have to be a very attractive offer abroad, where he's going to get a lot of power. Roma, I've heard soundings behind the scenes, may be looking for someone like Rafa Benitez. Would he be interested in them? Possibly that might turn his head. So I think that that could become a complicating mm. factor. But for now, without the obvious alternative, I do see moving towards more positive that Benitez stays but whether it's a bit of a fudge and whether it's that Newcastle and Benitez almost push it kick it down another year because there isn't really anywhere for either of them to go and we are in the same scenario I wouldn't be overly surprised if that was the outcome I mean the, 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 you know there's a few practical concerns isn't there is his his wage is 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 a big one I think you know deservedly so really because he's one of the elite managers but Newcastle are quite happy to pay that and like maybe some other clubs might not you know Celtic I think would would struggle to pay the kind of money that, that Rafa wants but Newcastle will pay that that money he's going to get a massive bonus for keeping them or he has had he has had big bonuses in the past for keeping them in the Premier League it's financially worth his while being here and I know you know it's not the most important thing but it's got to be a consideration for him that he that, that he I think they will do that Newcastle they're quite happy to do that but the key is that I think Mike Ashley then sees that because Mike Ashley is not a huge payer of staff, you know, in terms of he believes in bonuses. I think you see at Sports Direct, you know, the executives there are all on big bonuses. Lee Charnley's 
the the, the worst paid MD in in the uh, in the Premier League, but got double his money last season for keeping the for the team staying in the Premier League. But he is prepared to pay for Rafa Benitez, and I think that the way that the club see that is that okay, in the wider fan base, it's seen as he's a miracle worker because he does this. But Mike Ashley's impression is, well, I pay you six million pounds, and the reason I pay you six million pounds is because you can extract this improvement out of players and stuff. So there's a kind of you've got to think about it if you're looking into this as Mike Ashley's viewpoint mm-hmm. and the way that he sees this is that there are certain things that you know I expect my big earning manager to be able to do and things. So you know when people say, does he realise what he's got? I think he does realise what he's got, but I think he also thinks that well, that's what I'm paying. That's what I'm paying you six million pounds for, and I think it sounds like a few of the times that he's he's spoken to Rafa, he's, he has reminded, or when these these contracts have happened, it's kind of been a little bit of a reminder of like it's a good deal, Rafa. You know, it's a really good deal, Rafa, because you know he would think I, I doubt there's many people in the sports direct empire. He'd probably be the best paid employee in the entire, you know, Mike Ashley Mash Holdings um, company, and I suppose that for, for, from that perspective, he'll he'll think you know well, you know, you're getting a good deal out of me. So there will be a bit, an element of that horse trading, I think, there in, in these meetings as well. I think so. And I, it's interesting when you say about the different perspectives because you you do have to take that into account when you think of this, that Mike Ashley will see things to a certain degree almost as purely numbers. That's how he works. He can reel off how much the intricate details of a transfer dealing are, even though he claims to to a told a parliamentary commission, he, he doesn't really sign off on these deals. He doesn't have anything to do with Newcastle United. Make no mistake, the Miguel Almiron deal in January would not have happened unless Mike Ashley had given it the direct say. Yeah, so, yeah, and then and if that's you lo- worked, and and, yeah. and I think that is, I think probably just you know as an aside that the reason why the meeting might be a more positive framework is because I think that's what that deal has worked for everybody so far. Almiron, if you were to sell him now, you'd probably put five ten million pound on his value because it's worked and he's young and you know he's only going to get better but that's worked and i think that's and it came about after ashley and benitez had spoken and benitez had said to him look this deal needs to happen and it did eventually and newcastle got a very good price for it they actually played it quite well in terms of getting him but then if you look at it from the benitez perspective one thing i was i was think gets almost overlooked is that it's very benitez really does value the relationship he has with Newcastle fans he's only had that before Valencia and Liverpool and I think he looks elsewhere and he thinks that yeah I could probably go in and do do a job there and he's not going to be tied in Newcastle just because of that but then also the idea of making history is something that he loves Mm. you only you only had to hear him when he was asked repeatedly about Liverpool over the last couple of weeks and on Friday the way that he just shot back immediately when asked was Liverpool's comeback against Barcelona better than yours and he defended his own record and he was saying 3-0 down half time yeah, that AC Milan team were the best team in the world our achievement are certainly better and all that so, and, and there is a big ego there as, 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 in terms of, of the, the way his career is and he knows that even though he's got hero status now if he wins a trophy at Newcastle United if he is the person to finally do that ends oh. what is already a half century then that is legendary status and he knows that that is his place in history on Tyneside and there still is that part of him which is going to find it a real pull to, to lead that away because he, he he sees that there is the potential there to compete in one of the domestic trophies or get into Europe and have a real go at the Europa League mm-hmm. something like that he knows that, the, that in Newcastle he could get a small part of what he had at Liverpool it isn't the same because he's not he's highly unlikely he's ever been in a position to compete for the title to compete for the Champions League but he can have almost Liverpool light in that regard at Newcastle and that's not that's not in any way disrespectful to Newcastle I'm just talking about the positions the two clubs find themselves in the time he's there that connection he realises the power those fans have to towards helping his team but he also realises that for, for himself, for what he can be remembered as, he's unlikely to get that just about anywhere yeah. else in Europe at the moment. And it also, the, the relationship with the fans has, um, it makes his job so much easier because he knows that if they go through a rough patch, um, he, he can sort of talk to the fans as he did this season. You know, there was an element of no other manager would have got away with saying keeping the club in the, the Premier League is a miracle. You know, Alan Pardew got hammered for um, comments which were much, you know, much more, much less, less, much not quite as strong as that. When he when he used to say stuff like we can't compete with Southampton and all this, like Rafa says that kind of thing, and because yeah. he's got this cachet, he gets he gets away with it a little bit. But he also probably knows that that is a massive 
it's almost a free canvas to him to do whatever he wants here because he knows he can build gradually because there isn't an expectation here. Um, you know, ironically, Newcastle fans have always had that expectation thing thrown at them down the years. Uh, there's no expectation on Rafa other than to keep the team in the Premier League um, and deliver the kind of results that he has uh, this season. But, you know, it, it, it's a massive... I think I would think that that plays into his thinking a lot as well, that, you know, he knows that everything that bad that happens at Newcastle United is never really ascribed to him. He, got, he gets a bit of criticism sometimes, but generally speaking he gets a lot of credit and very little very little negativity and I think he'd be loath to walk away from that and start again at another club where it's going to be difficult yeah I think to, to a certain degree and I've thought this for a while that Mike Ashley being at Newcastle United is both the best and the worst thing for Rafa Benitez in two different senses it's the worst thing in the sense that Benitez sees the potential and he sees that if there is more money invested if things are done a different way under uh, which a different owner may allow and Mike Ashley's run of the club simply doesn't that Newcastle could progress so much but at the same time is the best because Benitez has that comfort blanket as you say of to things can he can make individual mistakes in games players may not quite work out but he always has the ability to he doesn't even need to say it fans know that he hasn't had the money he wants from, from Mike Ashley he hasn't had the control he necessarily wants and so it is for him it, it really really does help what is certainly he is a world class manager but it helps uh, give him that comfort blanket around that as well because he has almost not a ready made excuse but that ability to be able to show well this is the reason we haven't done well with X, Y, and Z because I couldn't sign this player. I had to sign fourth on the list, or he, I wasn't able to change this. And so he, he does. He does. Can. I, I would say as well that, that there aren't many managed, there aren't many owners in the football league who would have ex- kind of accepted the criticism publicly that has come that has come his way from Rafa. Now, you know, I think we all have a, a lot of sympathy with with him, and we all share the frustrations towards Mike Ashley, but. I'm not sure that if you'd have said the same things about the Golden Sullivan at West Ham or, um, you know, the owners at other places, that he wouldn't have been on a warning or even, you know, fired for it. And I think he he was effectively, he lost his job at Liverpool effectively for doing the same thing. But Newcastle have kind of taken the attitude that they have sort of taken a bit of a step back. I think there's been kind of a couple of times when, you know, they've kind of spoken to him and said, look, you know, just it's not helpful you saying this um but he's never been in any kind of trouble for that so he's got a really free reign to say and kind of do a lot of things that he wants to do it's just that i think he probably some of the things that he wants to do like sign rondon permanently and things just frustrate the hell out of him that he's not allowed to do that for football reasons yeah that and that's the every single manager will always want more from a club than, than necessarily get but Rafa Benitez is, is, is almost like that on speed for one of better <laughs> he's, 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 he's always he's always pushing every single person at the club he wants more from every single from himself he always wants more he's always striving for improvement he will always push the boundaries as far as he can and I agree with you he needs to manage up better he's never really done that well anywhere he's been and to a certain degree sometimes he, he extracts more from it and he hopefully will from contract talks this week but at the same time there comes a point whereby the relationship can fracture because of that and you're not he's not always going to get his way and I, but I just find, I, I always find him fascinating that it's like what we had last summer where the last week of the transfer window he does a big press conference where he says everything is wrong at this football everything club everything is wrong everything is wrong classic. was exact quote at this football club literally the week after asked him to expand on that oh the, the, the transfer window's over we, we focus on the season we're all together now and suddenly the demeanour completely changes so he, he is, is he is very much a politician anyone who says otherwise I'm afraid you're just wrong yeah. he, he does play the politics he usually plays them very well but sometimes uh, he just needs to rein in a little bit and just the the prime example would be early in the season when the ridiculous story about Mike Ashley wanted to come to training came out and which was true like, which was true yeah but, but no but a ridiculous story in terms of the sense of I mean well why did you just turn up a training and that's the way the Benitez looked at it but at the same time anybody else would have just said to that and said right fine I'll ring him up and see him come to training yeah and Benitez just point blank refused I kept on asking him well, so why don't you just ask him it's not my place. He's the owner. He can come whenever he wants. It's it's, it's again the massaging yeah. of the, each other's egos that, yeah. that Mike Ashley thinks that Benitez should invite him. Benitez thinks that the owner should just come if he wants to and he's not going to invite him. And it, it's almost, it's it's so frustrating because it seems like such a minuscule and pointless little thing to disagree on. But th- that's the sort of, uh, 
issues that have built up because they don't have this direct relationship and I don't think it should ever get to a point where he's always speaking to Mike Ashley Lee Charnley is managing director he should be the point of reference Mike Ashley has his other businesses to concentrate on as much as Newcastle fans don't want him to but the fact that Ashley does disappear for two or three months at a time and Benitez then doesn't get the answers he wants because maybe Lee Charnley isn't getting the answers quick enough or what for whatever reason it's stagnating that has become part of the frustration and Benitez hasn't necessarily managed yeah. that that well either it's a big. It's a big sort of. Um, just before we get on to the final final thing, I was going to ask you about. It's a. It's a big. It's been a big problem long term for Newcastle that Mike Ashley um, has this weird sort of opaque power lines at Newcastle United, and I think a lot of fans have kind of cottoned onto this that you know sometimes it feels like the clubs run from run run by Sports Direct, which I don't think is necessarily true because Lee Charney has you know a fair amount of day to day control, but over the big things. Mike Ashley will say, I'm not involved with that football club. I just want it to run itself. But that's not true because, you know, like you said, over big investments, he he will, he needs to have the final say. Justin Barnes is in there and we keep getting told that Justin Barnes doesn't have an important role at Newcastle United. But I, I don't, but I believe that he's he's got quite an important role in there, um, even if it's in an advisory capacity. And it frustrates the hell out of me because for me, I would think he would just get really good people involved at Newcastle United, let them get on with it um, and and not be as involved. But he, he kind of he gets involved at certain times and, and then steps back and says, it's nothing to do with me, you get on with it. And then he'll get involved at certain times as well. And I think that's how he runs. I mean, Sports Direct, the governance of Sports Direct has been a running battle with investors. You know, they, they, they don't like the way that Sports Direct does things in the city. And he's always said, well, you know, shareholders are, are, need to just be quiet and let me get on with it because I deliver them money year after year after year. But it's a very similar way. Like the governance, is, it's not clear governance that sports direct. We don't really, I think the investors get frustrated because decisions are made sometimes that they're like, well, we haven't been consulted. It hasn't been the proper procedure and stuff. And I think that sometimes happens at Newcastle where suddenly a decision's made and it's like, where the hell did that come from? Uh, Mike Ashley suddenly got involved again. Like, in the January of the transfer window in the uh, championship season, why has he suddenly got involved again? And it was people in his ear and things happening and stuff. And I think that's where the problem lies sometimes. And whereas Alan Pardew just got on with it and just shut up and, and kind of like just thought, well, you know, this is my big part of my job is to manage the relationship with Ashley. Rafa just doesn't, he just has no truck with that. He just wants, he wants it now and he wants to know now and he will say, I'm unhappy with this. And that's one of the reasons I think why fans love him so much because he's just honest. Yeah. You know, he's political. He is. He sometimes says things that for a reason and says things that, but he's he's always honest. Um, and people love that about him. And I, I love that about him that he is honest. <laughs> you never, you know, he's um, it's fun. I I think it's fun. You know, you kind of like you always go along thinking what's he going to say next, and he does. You know, we we've like you know people. I mean, we had Luke Edwards on the couch a few weeks ago, and he uh, he always takes he always kind of like tries to. Um, push Rafa on little things you know like you're gonna you know, and, and he kind of laughs and stuff but he is honest very political but he's honest he is honest yeah and I think that um, unlike previous managers he has pushed the, the the regime at Newcastle and made them try and change what they're doing whereas before there wasn't necessarily that and I think they have needed to be questioned in, in a lot of areas and I still think they need to be questioned in certain areas which is what he says but I think one of the complicating factors over the last 18 months has also been the situation that Mike Ashley wants to sell the club. I think that's, that's been the a final big it, topic I was going to bring up. Today. Well, it just in terms of before we get on anything else about it, when it comes to things like the January transfer window, I think very early on in the transfer window, and people at the club may argue otherwise, but my opinion was that because there was still there was a chance that that they thought that Peter Kenyon may at some point cobble together the money. That that's one of the reasons why the Amiron deal and other deals probably got delayed as long as they did because if they didn't have to make that investment then they weren't necessarily going to they had to uh, part of the way they financed Amiron was to get a loan in from the bank sorry an overdraft of the bank they didn't want that for the next person who was going to come by the club they didn't want that to potentially uh, end any negotiations on that and we I think we've had that over the course of the last uh, 18 months whereby whenever the takeover does come into to the free game whenever it looks like that might happen that suddenly decisions about investment are blurred and there's a do we do we do that is that potentially going to prevent us from selling the club 
do I want to put any more money in when I'm potentially selling the club? No, I probably don't, is, is how I think Mike Ashley looks at it. And that has really complicated things, and I think that has frustrated Benitez himself as well because he, he's seen that and that, that the fact that the, the club is for sale as all the fans want it to be and the fans would like it to be sold. But because it hasn't been, that has had a detrimental effect mm. at certain points at certain key areas. Uh, that, that brings us on to the final final point for the, for today is that Obviously, you wrote a piece on on Saturday. We've got this notebook, Saturday notebook that we that we've started. Um, that uh, you know is basically an excuse for us to kind of put quite a lot of back backroom stuff and off the record. We're well, not off the record, sorry, off the field stuff into uh, into one piece that maybe wouldn't necessarily um, we wouldn't necessarily do do breakout stories on. But on Saturday, and uh, we we kind of know now that whenever we do a takeover story, the um, the same reaction's going to come it's it's the irony of it being always being the best read thing on the site but people telling us they don't want to read about it but what is worth pointing out on saturday's piece because i think a lot of people get very frustrated because they say he's not going to sell it he's not going to sell it and um what i think is really really important is that every journalist who work, covers newcastle united will tell you there has been an increase in chatter around the idea of teams of people wanting to to come in and buy the football club and an increase in the amount of people registering an interest. And in fact, I think it's probably gone a little bit further than that with some groups have kind of engaged Newcastle's lawyers. I don't think it's being run now centrally through Newcastle at all, but they, they're engaging with Newcastle's lawyers, uh, the, the, or Mike Ashley's lawyers, actually, I think, who are involved in it now um, and have maybe gone through the, the internal due diligence that's required or are going through that, that period to get them onto the next, next stage. And uh, I think the piece on Saturday was very much a piece to say, look, this chatter has not gone anywhere and there are now groups that are kind of like starting to look a bit more intently. My feeling is that I, the interest is definitely there. And uh, one of our colleagues, Andrew, has, um, I think, ascertained that this Mexican group, certainly they're making noises about, yes, they are interested. My feeling is that interest is not a problem with Newcastle United's takeover, but getting actually getting the club, actually buying the club is a massive, massive issue because A, I think Ashley's difficult to deal with despite what the club tell us it would be a very easy deal to do. I think he's he's not easy to deal with from what from the various people have told me. Um, but secondly, these groups don't have the money at the moment to, to um, they don't have the resources at the moment to, to go and buy the club because the asking price is one thing, but you're going to need realistically another 100 200 million to go and buy that football club and make a difference and that was the big problem with kenyan that was the big problem with other other groups and amanda staveley as well is that they didn't have the money they didn't have that whole package so uh my feeling on the takeover at the moment is it's a live issue again but do i expect anything to happen no but i expect i expect we will hear more because i think there are definitely people out there who are interested and it now looks like a more um, a more palatable buy for a, a proposed investor because you've got the whole of the summer to go out and do it and there's a very short window um, George said it last week didn't he I think as well very short window now for somebody to cobble together a bid and actually go out and buy it yeah I mean that was the, the part of the point that we made in, in the notebook on Saturday as well that there's what some of the, the people who work and almost broke as tr- call a, a prime takeover window which is essentially the period from probably April, depending on where a team is in, in their respective league, if they're if they're safe in that respective league, because as soon as someone's divisional status is uncertain, which is part of the reason why some discussions with Newcastle United have dragged on in the past, is because you haven't been sure if they're going to be in the Premier League. So it's usually from about April through till June. That is the period where, if a club is going to be sold, that tends to be the time where it happens because then you have a full season to look forward to and you can make a material difference potentially in the in the in the transfer window you can plan going forward rather than coming in mid-season and making big upheavals and if there's uncertainty over a manager you can bring them in as well and there has been interest in Newcastle United and when you talk about potential investment going forward my understanding is there's a couple of groups who thought they could probably have met Mike Ashley's asking price but then considered how much they thought it was going to need to take Newcastle on to what they thought was the next level and they didn't think they had the resources or didn't have uh, the will that they didn't have the will to put all that money into the club. That's the problem. Is it's about three hundred, three hundred forty million somewhere in that region to buy it off Mike Ashley. But you're probably talking the same again, 
to if you really are going to make all the changes Newcastle need and that's just to be challenging to even think about getting in the top six if you really do want to break in the top six which will be the long-term goal of some investors then that is serious money beyond that and so we're at a period where there are groups certainly have, have looked at it and are a bit f- further advanced down the stage than maybe people will will want to believe given that the, the that, that a lot of people say they're sick of, of takeover talk. Um, I, I, the people in Newcastle are treating as if Magashi's going to be there in the medium term. They say they have to because at the moment no one's ready to or is in a position to just about buy the club. I'd be surprised if Newcastle United sold by the start of next season, but I also think that that is also a positive, in almost a perverse sort of way, that's a positive to think that it could be sold because I think that the more we hear from people that they want to buy the club, the less likely it is that it'll happen. Yeah if someone just comes in and either the deal's done or is just about to be done almost overnight, that is when a takeover might happen. So we could have yeah. a, something in three weeks where that happens. At the moment, that isn't the information we have, but it would be nice to think that, that could happen. I've been in touch with or, or been in touch with somebody who knows a broker who says that um, at the moment there is somebody in the data room stage. But again, we hear a lot of these these claims. I mean, you know, with Kenyon... Um, you know, I know people now regard that as like, oh, it was, it was, it, it's rubbish. But that there was so much substance in that that people at the football club were effectively felt that, you know, they were planning for this. Is you know, Mike Ashley's gone. I mean, Mike Ashley was spending money on lawyers' fees in order to get that deal done. Um, you know, that 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 was that was genuinely that that was how far ahead it was. We saw the letter. You know, I saw that signed. It was signed by Peter Kenyon. I saw the letter um, itself. It was it is a genuine letter. Um, and that's the problem now that, you know, really, unless somebody actually comes and does it, it really is, you just have to say, look, it, it, it's just speculation at the moment. But, um, and, and I kind of, from an editorial perspective, you know, I, I kind of take on the fact that people are fed up of reading about it to an extent because they don't agree with it. But by the same token, I think we'd be remiss to ignore what is an issue at the football club that people are kind of within the football club are talking about and people in the wider football community are talking about as well. I know, you know, that this Mexican group, um, the Mexican group, that there was definitely somebody who introduced them a few months ago. So that has, there has been discussions there. I'm pretty sure of that. I'm pretty sure there have been discussions with this, this group that were mentioned um, there. But like, again, you know, I understand people don't want to, don't want to maybe, you know, we might get the kind of, slew of replies that we get but um but it is what it is it's it's definitely you know it's still news it's like when people kind of say they don't want to hear about transfers until they happen you know i mean you know that's that's football journalism isn't it you know there is an element of speculation to it um as long as it's accurate as long as you're not just making it up i think you know i I think it's it's fair game and the fact of the matter is the club is still for sale so that does draw more potential interest and if it wasn't necessarily in the market there could still be coops looking at it but because it is for sale that's Mike actually actively saying look I'm courting interest I want people to come so then a lot more groups even those who it turns out really have no chance of buying the club will come in around and so you will it, 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 it is a frustrating process it's frustrating for us as journalists when you have so many people ringing you up and claiming to be interested or claiming that they're doing x mm-hmm. y and z with the club and you check it out and really it doesn't turn out to be anything like that and so it, it's a frustrating process for everyone involved, particularly because fans are so desperate for Newcastle United to be sold. I'm sure the majority of us journalists are desperate for Newcastle United to be sold to a large degree. We think Meg Ashley, I believe, is he doesn't have a long-term ambition to be in charge of the club. He doesn't want to progress them. So Newcastle do need a different direction. And so we will try and source whatever we can to find out if someone else is going to come and take that out of control. And as long as it's on the market... There will be more and more of these stories because it's almost like if you buy, if you if you're selling a house, you will have people. Some some will come in and uh, there's a, there's this big phenomenon, isn't there, where people come in on the first day and put a put an offer in and then withdraw it immediately. That's that's what yeah. happens with these sort of things. People do that deliberately, and, and you get the same with takeovers because or the the sale of a football club because it's almost the same but just on a far bigger scale. I think I think what's what's interesting. I mean, you know, it, it, it's almost to the point now where um, I think we've gone through this this process so many times with with Mike Ashley that people just don't believe it like they don't believe that anything positive can happen to Newcastle United but one day it will be sold and probably out of the blue um you know this is the problem isn't it a lot of people making big claims I mean Dave Kitson said what he said talk sport been trying to track him down for a long time um got his phone number rang him a few times 
whether he's just thinking I'm not going to speak to Newcastle because that my prediction was wrong, or whether he's thinking I've been told something and then don't want to don't want to think it. But but people, you know, people, you know, he reflected. I think the mood out there in this football business community that Newcastle is is prime for for being sold is prime to be to be kind of invested in. Um, and you know that that mood is still out there. It's not it's not people just saying things. You know, people accuse us of just doing clickbait or whatever. You know, I, I totally reject that because I think that you know the mood is probably we could we could do a takeover story every day based on the, the, some of the stuff that we get told, um, but we don't do that. We have to double triple source it and then kind of come out with something. But the uh, notebook on a Saturday is kind of a good place to kind of to kind of land that. So um, yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be interested to kind of. Yeah, I'm sure it won't be the last time that we're writing about it. I'm sure it won't be the last time that we're kind of speculating about it. But um, that's for the summer. That is for the summer, as, as is Rafa Benitez's kind of a puff of white scope that we're hoping we'll get towards the end of this week on Rafa Benitez's future. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and the, uh, if you'd like to keep abreast of things, Chronicle Live will uh, we'll, we'll have the first news and breaking news as it happens on Rafa's future transfers and everything else this summer. This is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows. And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.